This is the business of sports. Let's talk Super Bowl and Fox Sports. Every single thing that occurs, I want people to remember this is a business. Guaranteed money isn't necessarily guaranteed. Michael Barr. How high can these valuations go? Scott Soshnank. Duke. Everybody loves rooting against them, right? Evan Novi williams Off the field, the NBA has never been buzzier. And the leaders in the sports industry. Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred. Mike Oresco. He's the commissioner of the American Athletic Conference. Jared Smith, president of Ticketmaster. Mindy race car driver, Elio Castroneves. Bloomberg Business of Sports. From Bloomberg Radio. Hello, I'm Michael Bond. I'm Evan Novi williams And I'm Scott Soshnick. Every week at this time, plus Mondays and Wednesdays, we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. Today, we sit down with DraftKings CEO. CEO Jason Robbins and talk about operating a sports betting company while the sports world is on hold. That's straight ahead on the Bloomberg Business of Sports show. But first, let's look at some of the top stories of the week. Uh, let's start. <laughs> We're supposed to be thinking about opening day in baseball, folks. And uh, obviously, there are no games that are going to be played and not played for a while. Uh, according to Rob Manfred, he's also saying that there is a good chance that even if they do resume the season, we're not going to have a full 162-game season. What do you mean we're supposed to be thinking about opening day? Bar, aren't you thinking about opening day? Peanuts and Cracker Jacks and all the good stuff? Yes. Tigers, everything. Oh, you just ruined it with Tigers. <laughs> Tell me again about Fidrich to Trammell and Whitaker. Oh, man. That's, that's like Tinker's the Eller's the Chance, man. That's, oh, man. That, boy, that Mark Fidrich, the bird. If anybody who remembers baseball back in the day, uh, 1976, the Detroit Tigers, they had this very unique pitcher. Mark Fidrich, and he the reason why they called him the bird is that he would scratch the mound and he looked like a bird, and he would talk to himself on the mound, and you'd see all this, and and you know, and of course the the, the sports announcers made fun of him, and but he was just dynamite. They, what a character! This is the part of the show bar where we turn to young Novi Williams and say. Have you ever heard of Mark Fidrich? I have heard of Mark Fidrich, yes. Uh, I will admit that when I first heard the name, I was thinking about the, uh, who was the Sports Illustrated uh, April Fool's Sid Day Finch? joke pitcher? Sid Finch. <laughs> Sid yeah. Finch. <laughs> yeah. Um, Close. I've heard well, of Mark, Finch, of Mark Finch is a bird. Yeah, there you go. So what, what are you most disappointed about? What were you looking forward to? Let's do it from a sports business perspective. What, what were you looking forward to? Every opening day. I mean, the, the the nostalgia part of me likes the fact that the first week of baseball, there are a lot of games happening during the day, and that always feels like a comforting welcome of spring to me. But yeah, I think I think it everything about the sports world now, and baseball is obviously not alone, is now kind of thrust into this weird question of when it can be resumed and behind the scenes talking about different options for how long the season can be, when when to host it, thinking about when do you hold your postseason and then work your way back do you want to compete with the nfl more or less i mean i think there's just so many questions and so many interesting questions kind of happening below the behind the scenes one other thing that that, that made me laugh when you mentioned opening day you know we are recording this on thursday exactly two weeks from the moment that baseball announced that its opening day would be delayed and man that feels like it's two months yeah, it, do, it does feel like a while but these networks do need to show something so are you at all excited? Can this tempt you uh, if, if the world is stuck at home? MLB Network's opening day, they're going to show us at 1 p.m. You're getting the Yankees and the Indians from 1996. Woo-hoo. 4 p.m. Giants and Dodgers from 2013. 6 p.m. Giants and D-backs 2017. Uh, and I admit I have no idea what happened in that game that made it good. 
Uh, 9 Mark p.m. Fidrich Padres. <laughs> oh, okay. Padres and Rockies in 2005. Any of that tempt you guys? Or you want to sit and watch this stuff over again? Uh, yeah, I would. I, I would watch this again. I mean, I've, I've sat back and I've watched old NASCAR races and I knew who was going to win the race. So, yes, I'd love to sit down and, and watch something like this. Yeah, I'm on the other end of that one. I those do not tempt me at all, and I mean nothing against baseball. There, there's no and, and a lot of a lot of networks now are, are airing old games. Those things don't particularly interest me. I also haven't touched a TV in in two weeks, so you know there's very little I think on on TV that w- that would get me right now. But um, yes, I, I think for for hardcore baseball fans, yeah, those are probably especially interesting if you know you know the particulars of what those games are, or if you're a fan of one of those teams. Um, but that is not a substitute for me personally in, in any capacity. I mean, Man. we talk about live content and sports is the driver of it all. Knowing the outcome sort of ruins the idea of live. I mean, that's why people like to watch it. Yeah, check out ESPN's upcoming schedule, what they're trying to do for Saturday. They're calling it Strikeout Saturday. ESPN says they're going to televise four classic 20 strikeout games in a marathon. So you're going to get to see Clemens, Kerry Wood, Randy Johnson. I don't think that's when he hits the bird and kills it. And Max Scherzer. Again, Barr, you tuning in for this? Yes. Yes, I am. I, I mean, I would love it. I, I, I've, you know, there, I've seen old football games. Uh, you know, I, I'll sit down and watch it. Oh, yeah, this happened. Now, again, I, I go back to all the racing. Yeah, I, there are moments when I see a race where I'm thinking, Oh my goodness, this is where the big one's going to come up and this one and this and that, whatever. But here's why I really love to see old baseball games because it's a snapshot of life, especially if you go into the 60s and 50s, a snapshot of life during that time. Uh, there was the time, uh, in fact, on radio not too long ago, I think MLB aired the uh, the Don Larson perfect game in the World Series. And and, and to me, that's that's like, wow, this is what life was like back then i mean yes they had a ball and a bat but you see the snapshot you see the old scoreboard you see the advertisements for schlitz beer or whatever man out on outfield uh, it's great I, I love it espn guys had tried this for a very long time right espn classic was a tv show or a tv channel um that you know a number of years ago got dropped from major carriers like Comcast, like Altice, it didn't do particularly well. And I get that, you know, now we're in a time where, you know, these games aren't competing against live sports. So, so there's kind of a, a, a drought of other things. Um, but I do wonder, and this is a good transition into kind of our next topic. I want to hear your thoughts and I've got thoughts as well. If you were kind of pulling strings at ESPN right now and you have a lot of hours to fill with some content, be it old games or something else, what would you guys most like to see on TV right now? When you turn on ESPN, oh man! I, 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 you know what? And I, yes, ESPN Classic used to air two things that I did not, didn't miss at all in terms of hey, I, I've I've got to see this on TV. One, they aired the. I do remember a game show called Sports Challenge, and Dick Enberg was the host, and they had all of these legends in sports, and they and there was trivia going against the the, the two teams. And, man, I, I love that. I remember seeing that as a kid when it first aired, and then they brought it back. And then the other one I'd like to see come back again is Home Run Derby, the 1960 version with Mark Scott. 
Um, man, you get to see Willie Mays, I, I, Al Kaline. I, I mean, I can go on. It, it just that kind of stuff really just you know makes the hair just no, go, no, no bar. Hold on, Bar, I got to tell you, I know Eben is too young to remember the Home Run Derby, but I, I did watch it. My favorite part of Home Run Derby is, remember when the guy would uh, pop one up and then you just hear the voice, one out. <laughs> Two away. <laughs> Two out. Yeah, that, that, was, that, was my, that was my favorite stuff. Oh, man. Eben, what great. about you? You're, say you're, you're Jimmy Pitaro and you're programming ESPN. You're in charge of ESPN. You're on the line and what do you want? I want athletes. I, I want to talk to every player's union. I, again, I don't care about old games. I want to see what LeBron James is doing in his house right now. I want to have him on a split screen talking to Dwayne Wade. If Even if you want the nostalgia thing, I would much rather Chris Bosh, LeBron James, and Dwayne Wade be on a Zoom call that is televised, maybe with a game in the bottom corner and they're talking about, hey, remember this timeout, whatever it is. I would much rather see athletes, and and I think they've been kind of conspicuously absent so far. We can talk about a few of them and, and the smart things they're doing. But on the whole, you know, in a lot of ways, sports is kind of this great reality TV show. And while the games are not happening, the athletes are still around. They're still living their lives. And they are, in a lot of sports, especially basketball, the compelling part of the whole equation. I want to see more of them. I want to see what they're doing. I want to hear them talking, joking with each other. That's what I want to see. I am with you, Eben. And uh, I mentioned Jimmy Pitaro. He appeared uh, via video conference on the Sports Business Journal uh, World Congress of Sports. And he said that they are reaching out to their partners and to leagues because he wants athletes. And uh, in this day and age, and especially with what we're going through, everybody's staying connected via social, via video conference. Absolutely. We need to see more athletes. I'm going to tell you what my idea was that I didn't just sit on it. I actually emailed ESPN and I want to see if they uh, if they take me up on it. I can't just keep these ideas in. I, I I actually emailed Chris LaPlaca, their great public relations guy, and he said he would bring it up the chain. Let's see if it happens. So hear me out. Let me know if I have a winner here or a dud. But everybody is thirsting for social connection. I think we can agree with that. Everybody is stuck at home. And one of the things we're hearing people should do is exercise. Right. Everybody needs to get busy. People are taking walks. My idea is a nightly exercise show on ESPN live, live at 8 p.m. Eastern time. They get an athlete a night, whether it's LeBron. And I always thought Patrick Mahomes would be great for the first one. He's got that personality. But they run you through a one hour workout. So, you know, whether it's through social channels or they take commentary from people at home. They, they, they look at your form. You send in video and say, hey, Johnny in Ohio, make sure to keep your head up. A one-hour live workout. So you're going to get an athlete and the people at home. You'll have interaction. I think it's a home run idea for an athlete or an agent who says, I want my guy to step up and take center stage for an hour on ESPN. You can't buy that kind of time. So let me ask you, Scott, because you mentioned that no weights. They have to use household items. Was this in any way inspired by the Olympic story that, that I wrote last week about Mandio Mitchell, the, Mitchell, the sprinter who was bench pressing his subwoofer because he couldn't go to a yeah, gym? But, well, it was, but in that, you know what? I'm living it, Eben. I think so many people are living it. I, yeah. somebody, I, don't, I really don't remember who it was, but somebody on my Facebook feed 
showed a picture of a broken resistance band. And they called that, you know, they tried on Amazon, they tried on the local companies, and people are out. There's back order. So, so many people are at home having to make do for exercise and workouts. And the chance to look at your TV and open your laptop and be able to send in a message to, let's say, Patrick Mahomes while you're doing sit-ups and push-ups and have them say, this is, what I, this is how I eat, this is, what I'm, this is what my diet is during at home, it's a little harder, I cheat with a donut, whatever it is, it's an interaction and I think people would absolutely prefer to do that and watch that than a replay of a game from 1996. You know why I like your idea, Scott? Because it's it's the the more things change, the more they stay the same. And and you've updated. I don't know if anybody remembers the old Jack Lalane show, where you know housewives every day yep. would turn on TV and they would exercise a half hour, an hour, ever with Jack Lalane. Now your idea is do it live, do it with a, a top notch athlete. And and let's see it happen. That could go. I like that. ESPN used to have a show, Gilad, Bodies in Motion, <laughs> you know, like running on a beach and stuff. Fitness has always been a thing. But right now, there's a sense of community that we're all in isolation. We all want a touch point. And there's just an opportunity here for the network, for the athlete to fill the void that has been created by that isolation. Which is why, uh, I mean, if you're happy about, what, how many, how many eyeballs would you have to get for this to be considered a success? Yeah, I, I don't know what the number is, but yeah, I think it's a good idea. I mean, I, again, I just think anything that has athletes doing something that is not, you know, normal, but is a, a glimpse into their personalities or their lives, I think is, is the better play right now for media networks, personally. And we are going to see an athlete who is stepping outside of the comfort zone Eben, you and I discussed it. We like what we're about to see from Steph Curry. Yeah, for sure. You know, this is a this is a good example, in my opinion. Steph Curry uh, is doing a, I believe it's a hosting an online conversation right now with, with Dr. Fauci, who is you know fast becoming mm, the uh, yeah. w- one of the stars or media darlings of uh, of, of the coronavirus era. Um, this is a time after you know a week after he went on Barstool's Pardon My Take podcast. Uh, which was also, you know, I thought a, a smart move both for Barstool and and for him. Yes, I think this is the kind of stuff that I that I'd like to see more athletes doing. And maybe the truth is that we're gonna, like we're seeing with Steph, they're going to do it on their own terms. They're not going to do it on ESPN, or they're not going to do it on a Zoom call through the NHL, for example, uh, as Sid, Sid Crosby is doing on Thursday. Uh, I, I, maybe they're just going to do it on their own channels, and maybe that's maybe that's better. Maybe they can monetize that better. Maybe that's a, a medium they trust a little bit more. Uh, but yes, yeah. I like that Steph Curry is doing this, and I'd like to see more people doing it. On a smaller scale, I was scrolling through my Twitter feed, and I saw Haley Wickenheiser, uh, one of the best female hockey players of all time. She put out just a little thing, hey... Uh, hockey fans, why don't you grab your stick and a ball and we'll run through some drills at 3 p.m. Everybody click on to, you know, whatever it was, FaceTime, whatever the medium was, but we'll run some, some drills together. I think there's a tremendous opportunity for athletes to do exactly that. And it doesn't have to be ESPN. However, if I am a pro athlete right now, that is still the dominant platform. I think it would behoove many athletes, especially reaching the target audience they want, you can do it via your social and ESPN, or maybe you do the chat portion on your channel versus the video on ESPN, a combination, whatever it is. 
uh, but just find a way to keep yourself visible and a, a touch point for the fans. So that, that's the that's the idea I had. We'll we'll see if anybody takes us up on it. Well, my fingers are crossed, man. You can make a lot of money out of that. Uh, <laughs> let's, let's talk speak, about Speaking something. of making money, Barr, why don't you tell me what's going on at Delaware North? Yeah, this is uh, – they're laying off workers, and there are pay cuts there also involved. This is the painful part of what happens when there are no sports. Yeah, I mean, we talked about this with Harris Blitzer. They were first to come out and say they were going to cut pay, and that really worked against them being first because there was such backlash that Josh Harris had to change his mind and say it was a mistake. Maybe he was just too fast because other billionaires, and Jeremy Jacobs uh, owns Delaware North, uh, he's doing it now, uh, and you will see more and more continue to do it. And Bloomberg had a great story, Eben, uh, about Tillman Fertitta. All yeah. of his businesses, all of them, are bringing in zero right now. He's restaurants, he's hotels, and he's sports and entertainment. And he, he's just got no... Revenue, he said, from a liquidity standpoint, he can hold on for a few months, but that's about it. I mean, this is a this is a dangerous time for folks in these industries who are just bringing in no business. Yeah, for sure. And, and Jeremy Jacobs, Delaware North owner of the uh, TD Garden in Boston and and the and the Boston Bruins. Um, yeah, there, it's clear that we're seeing different owners, and and you know, totally depends on their. Other businesses, right? I mean, uh, Tillman Fertitta, you mentioned, has a has a massive business empire, all of which is being hit right now significantly. You know, if you think about someone like Josh Harris, maybe a little bit different in terms of of, of the money that he's made and 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 how dangerous or how 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 you know endangered that income is uh, moving forward or or even in the next couple months. Um, I also think there's kind of a distinction to be made between what billionaire owners are doing for their you know hourly workers, you know, the people, you know, who work at an arena on a night and and versus their salaried employees, you know, so like the person in their marketing department or the person in their, in their, in their training staff, et cetera. Um, so, so we're seeing some distinctions there. Tom Dundon, the owner of the the Carolina hurricanes, he went out and spoke recently, said that, you know, if the government doesn't backstop, uh, full pay for full salary unemployment insurance, then, then, then he'll do it for his employees, uh, doesn't want anyone on the street, I think is the exact quote. I think we're seeing you know, a, a vast difference. My question for you guys is, do you think fans are taking note of these things? Is there, and I think Mark Cuban has talked about this, but is there, on the back end of this, is there some kind of you know, good, good person or good business reward potentially coming to the teams that, that maybe do the right thing or owners that dip into their pockets to do the right thing versus the ones that are drawing kind of hardline business decisions right now? Uh, I would not be surprised if there is a mental scorebook being kept by fans. And Cuban said, and he wasn't talking specifically sports teams as businesses, but Cuban's take was how businesses treat their employees throughout this crisis will define them for the next whatever, 10, 20, whatever it is. This is the defining moment for how they will be remembered. Another way that manifests itself is, you know, this idea, and we've talked about it on the show a lot before, this idea that, you know, oftentimes these same owners come to the public and ask for significant amounts of money when they want to renovate their stadium, when they want to build a new arena. 
Uh, if I was, you know, and, and we'll use Prudential Center as an example, if I was a Newark taxpayer who worked at the stadium and I was part of the vote or whatever that, that, that gave $300 million to building the Prudential Center, albeit under an owner that wasn't Josh Harris, you know, I would be livid that, that, that the owner of the team, the owner of that building is, is not or didn't want to uh, – cover my salary at a time like this, you know? So I think this also where this may really backfire is when, if some of these owners then at some point have to go back to the public and ask for, for big, big checks when they want renovations, that may be a harder pill to swallow given how they act right now. Well, you mentioned about uh, uh, Mr. Fertitta and it, you're thinking, it, I think I said this earlier uh, in an earlier podcast, this is a business. And if you have no money coming in, what are you going to do? I mean, for Mr. Fatida, he has Bubba Gump shrimp and and all of the restaurants that he has, and of course the the sports entities that he owns. What could possibly go wrong? And all of a sudden, this month here is wrong. And I mean, what do you do if you don't have any money coming in? Okay, let's get to this week's interview with DraftKings CEO Jason Robbins. Jason, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Obviously, very weird times for everybody involved, especially for a company that you know has spent a decade doing daily fantasy and, and sports betting at a time when there aren't sports happening. Walk us through your job right now. What are you doing to kind of bridge the gap between now and when sports come back online? Well, you know, there are a few sports here and there. Uh, believe it or not, number one betting sport for last week was table tennis. So people are finding <laughs> sports to play. Uh, we also created a number of different pools around, you know, different things like the Democratic debate, Survivor. Uh, you know, we have a daily dose pool that we do. Uh, so we've had Curb over... Enthusiasm, right? Curb your enthusiasm, we have a pool for, exactly. So we've had over 270,000 entries in those and over 70,000 prizes. So we're going to keep ramping those up. We've done over 20 of them so far in the last week and a half or so. We're going to do more coming in uh, the next few days. And then, you know, we still have iGaming. So there's still plenty of people playing that. And then lastly, we're doing uh, this thing called the DK Rally, where in partnership with United Way, uh, we're going to donate up to a million dollars for relief efforts. Um, you know, basically people are, are uh, being asked to send in a picture of them with their rally cap. And for every picture we get with somebody in a rally cap, we're going to donate a dollar up to a million dollars to United Way. So hopefully uh, people get their rally caps in and we can go support a good cause. I would think that one of the biggest <clears throat> metrics for you kind of thinking about this kind of rough period that we're in right now is cash withdrawals. That people who leave their their money in their account may be you know more willing to be using it and get back to betting at a time when when there's more to offer or maybe play some of the games you just mentioned. Can you tell us how much you know, how much you've seen from a withdrawal standpoint? Are, are people just leaving their money in their accounts or are they taking money out? Yeah, people are mostly you know leaving their money there. We also have people that you know naturally kind of withdraw after sports seasons end. Um, so a lot of them have just kind of left their money in there for years. And so this is sort of so different mm. for them. They're waiting for NFL to come back or anything like that. But, uh, you know, certainly uh, something that we're keeping an eye on. You're absolutely right. That's a key metric for us to watch. Uh, but so far, you know, we haven't seen anything too concerning there. And I think really for us, the focus is on ensuring that we're engaging our customers. And, uh, you know, I think people appreciate that we're coming up with cool new ideas for pools and games and, keeping them occupied during a time when a lot of people are probably home and restless. Hey Jason, let me go back to the ping pong. One, where are those matches taking place? 
Two, what percentage of all the bets that you're taking in are on ping pong? And by the way, are there people who really know ping pong and are betting because they know? Or is this just we need something to be entertained on? You know, it's probably a little bit of both. Uh, I can't say that I've done a tremendous amount of research on uh, the ping pong better and what their motivations are yet. But at some point we'll... Uh, you know, do some customer panels and get some insight into that. Uh, but, you know, it's been pretty substantial. It's been almost 60% over the last week. I've been, uh, that's on ping pong. And the, the cool part about that, too, is that most of them are in-game betting. People are betting during the ping pong matches. So a lot of in-game engagement with ping pong, similar to tennis, where you can, you know, bet on every point in a lot of matches. So it's got a good setup for in-game betting. And, uh, you know, it's the way people find... Uh, more things to do, but if not, then there's always ping pong betting. <laughs> it's hard to do research on that because there's nothing out there. Is like who's this guy or who's this woman? Uh, is that a, kind of a problem? I mean, are people just simply betting because hey, I like this guy? You know, it's hard to know, but I bet there's more research out there than you think. The internet is a big place, and I can't <laughs> say for sure because I haven't done this myself. But I would, uh, I would bet. That if you Googled, you could find more information than you think on this subject. But that's just a guess. I'm not sure. Jason, as someone who covered the Olympics in Beijing, I can tell you that the table tennis venue was one of the most crowded and exciting places yeah. of the entire games. Ping pong's fun to watch. I think it's one of those sports that, like, because there's so much else going on, usually people don't pay as much attention to. And now when there's less, they're like, you know what, this is kind of fun. I like this. And my hope is you see some of those things stick. You know, there's people that are coming and uh, engaging with new sports and new products, uh, you know, that weren't before with us. There's the, another area that we've seen huge increases, esports. We're having massive esports pools. I think we have like a $300,000 esports pool out there right now for today, I want to say, or something like that. I mean, there's been huge increases in esports fantasy. So, you know, that's another one where I'm hoping that, because it's fun. Once you play it, it's fun. And people, you know, I think just hadn't tried it before because there's so much else going on. And my, you know, my hope is that a silver lining here is that people are getting a chance to try new things that maybe they hadn't before. And some of them will like them and continue to play those games once, uh, you know, other sports come back. Jason, I've talked to some of the other people in the, in the, in the gambling world. Everybody seems to be saying that, your entire industry, the sports betting industry in the U.S. has for so long just kind of put its head down and rushed really quickly into new markets, trying to find access agreements, trying to launch new product, etc. That this is actually giving in some ways a chance to sit back, to kind of take stake of where you are, to, to think about more creativity in product that you might not have. Are you feeling that there is actually a sense to sit back and breathe that you may not have had for the last 18 months as, as U.S. states have come online? You know, it's an interesting point. I would say that to some degree that that's even more true of DraftKings. We've just had so much. Like we, you know, if you look at our brief history, uh, we've been around you know only eight years or so, but we've done, dealt with everything from fierce competitive battles to government regulation to you know attempted mergers with our chief rival. So it's been you know a lot of sort of one big thing to the next and. Yeah, you know, it's an interesting point. There, there is probably a little bit more downtime now for everyone across all, you know, businesses and also, you know, maybe all facets of life to take a step back and, you know, maybe reflect on some things. And those are like when you get to moments like these, I know this was unprecedented in the exact nature of it, but 
these sort of, you know, moments in, in life and in the world where things happen that, you know, affect everybody so significantly. I think almost always in those situations, um, there's something positive that can come from it if you do take the time to step back and look at where you've been doing things, look at your business, look at your life. And, you know, a lot of times those are the moments when you have the biggest insights and revelation. Jason, speaking of slowing down a little bit, because of the suspension of games, we saw Harris Blitzer uh, ask people to take pay cuts. We see the Montreal Canadiens laying off 60% of the workforce, the NHL asking people to take cuts. Have you asked your employees to take any cuts? Have there been any furloughs or will there be any layoffs? No, you know, for us, it's different because we don't have a stadium full of, you know, people that go to work and operate it. And we don't have a physical location, really. I mean, we do have some, but it's a very limited part of our business. So, you know, most of our employees are always working on things that are a couple months down the road anyway. Uh, so, you know, not a whole lot has changed. And really, like, the need to have people work on things doesn't change now. You know, we're also in the fortunate position of being very healthy from a balance sheet perspective and, uh, you know, are still on track to close our public financing deal in, uh, you know, the coming weeks. So uh, I think that, you know, we're in a, a particularly uh, fortunate position relative to maybe some other companies. And, uh, you know, some of that was, was luck. Uh, some of that, you know, was, I think, just us always sort of making sure that we've been conservative around debt and making sure we've shored up the balance sheet whenever we have an opportunity to. So, you know, I think we're, you know, we're not in a position where we need to start thinking or talking about those things, but I do understand why some other businesses are. And, you know, hopefully everybody, it's going to be a painful for everybody and hopefully we'll all get through it together. Jason, you mentioned that public financing deal, Diamond Eagle Acquisition Company, the company that is, you know, acquiring you guys through reverse merger, that may happen in April. You know, by the end of April, it seems pretty likely that, that DraftKings could be a publicly traded company at a time when the markets are not, you know, excelling. Uh, what do you think about the, the timing there? Does it have any effect going public kind of in this market versus, you know, maybe a market that was that was going a little higher? I think the market conditions can certainly be a distraction for a new public company, but we're pretty used to dealing with distractions. We've had a lot of, uh, you know, press and other things over the years and I think as a company, we've been pretty good at keeping our eye on the ball and focusing on the long term. Um, you know, I think that really, unless you actually are trying to raise capital, it almost doesn't matter what the market's like. And the deal, you know, the way this deal is structured with the pipe and the stack proceeds already being in trust, that part of the process is done already. So, you know, I think it's a bit different from us. I think if we were looking out to go and, you know, raise more capital as part of this process, we might reconsider the timing. But given this is just closing a transaction that's already kind of had the key pieces lined up already, um, we thought it you know, makes sense to proceed. Is is there any change in the valuation? $3.3 billion was the number that was oh, given you know, a couple was months ago. Up. I mean, it's a public stock, so the change in valuation yeah. is just wherever it's trading. The stock's certainly gone down, so if that's what you're asking, then yes. <laughs> the stock mm-hmm. has gone down, but... Uh, Hopefully it'll go back up again. And, you know, I think because the deal was struck, actually, you know, the uh, the deal itself is done at an even lower valuation than the, uh, the stock is trading at now. It's done usually right around 10 bucks. So, uh, you know, it's, uh, if anything, I think, you know, people are getting a little bit better deal on that. But, you know, nothing, I think, on our end really has changed because so much of this was already put in place and committed to ahead of time. And this is just closing a transaction that's kind of already been, you know, baked already. 
You mentioned eSports, and one thing that's taking place now, NASCAR, they're running virtual races. Have you gotten any action on that for betting? We started to look at that. Um, I don't know, Jamie, have we done that yet? Not sure if we've done any of those yet. I know we started to look at it, so it's probably something that you know people, for whatever reason, uh, uh, either either we're doing it or we're going to soon. I hope, but I, I'm not sure. I have to check in on that because uh, I know we've been looking at it, but I'm not. Uh, I don't think we have anything live there yet. Jason, one thing I know media executives are worried about. And I'm talking network folks. Is sort of this changed behavior? There's a little trepidation out there that if you go so long without sports and people will get used to it and they get different routines. That is their long-term change in behavior. I'm going to guess that you don't have that problem or you don't even have that concern. When games come back, those who like to bet will still bet. Am I right? Obviously, this is an unprecedented moment. No one really knows. But what I will say, even beyond betting, sports has been a constant throughout the history of human you know, existence. And that hasn't gone anywhere for a reason. It's because people like sports and that's just part of who we are as, you know, a species. And I don't see that changing. The other thing I would say is that sports already have these natural starts and stops that activate and deactivate people. So, you know, it's hard to imagine, for example, in the NFL season, resumed. Uh, you know, will we maybe lose some fans that, you know, or into some of the other sports leagues that suspended that don't come back till next season temporarily, maybe even then, I think you could argue that, you know, people are going to be pretty excited that sports are back and there'll be a, you know, some reactivation of, of interest or sorry, renewal of interest. Um, but, you know, I think because sports already have these natural starts and stops in the season, I, I just, I don't personally buy into that theory at all. Well, let me tell you, if there's a bright side in the Soshnik household, it's that my 10-year-old has now found the Game Show Network, and he knows who <laughs> Charles Nelson Riley is. There you go. There you go. See, there are ways that this is affecting us that, you know, we now never knew. We all, who would have thought that, that uh, you know, the virus would lead to your children becoming educated about old game show hosts? Jason, so when you think about, you know, as, as you're talking about the, this time when sports come back, how much of what you're doing right now do you think sticks around? Do you think we still have, you know, free-to-play tournaments around entertainment, TV, The Bachelor, Survivor, Chopped? Do you think these things stick when, when you guys come back online fully with, with more sports? Or are these kind of stopgap measures? Uh you know, it's hard to know, but we're a very data-driven company, so we'll we'll go with whatever the data says. If people are engaging with them and they continue to do so, then we'll keep doing it. If interest dies out, as traditional sports come back, then we'll phase them down. But, uh, you know, I would imagine some form will remain around because people seem to be enjoying them. And these are all for the for the entertainment stuff. These are all kind of free to play tournaments because I, I don't believe that regulators, you know, at least not yet, let you you know book odds on these things. Are you guys working with regulators? Are there things that you're asking them to to look at again to see if you can place take wagers on, or is that you know too, we're always talking to, to them? I think no. I mean, we're always talking regardless of anything you know recent. We're always trying to figure out if there's new things that we can introduce and looking at the regulators. It's not the fastest process in the world, as you can imagine, but, uh, you know, certainly there's been some, some discussions there. That's Jason Robbins, CEO of DraftKings. Jason, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. It makes me wonder, and I think about what 
Jason Robbins is going through and what other online sports betting is going through. And I wonder if if they had the opportunity to have an online casino also along with their sports betting, would that help them down the road, at least with their revenue problem right now? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it would, for sure. And, 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 and you heard him mention, you know, DraftKings does do iGaming. You know, so that's blackjack and roulette and maybe one or two other things in New Jersey. And that's been been a big boon. Scott, I was, you know, I'd, I'd like to hear him break down, and, and I've heard this from a few other operators as well. The playbook right now, if you're a sports betting operator, is kind of threefold. One, you find whatever sports you can find that are still happening. Hello, ping pong. Two, you maybe think about some some creative games around entertainment, you know, like Curb Your Enthusiasm to maybe keep people engaged. And three, you kind of dedicate people to thinking a little bit more creatively, as we just heard, about what happens when games come back and, and the new things that you can maybe program. So, so that three-pronged approach, DraftKings is certainly taking it, and I'm intrigued to see how, how it comes out on the back end. Yeah, I, I was intrigued by the conversation surrounding behavioral change. Uh, I know the sports leagues, I don't think concern might be a too strong a word, but they're curious to see if the consumer behavior changes. Uh, you take something away this long, people get used to something else, you know. How much will they miss? Will they rush back to the stadiums? Will they rush back to the TVs? I'm not sure, but I got the sense from Jason that he's not too concerned that people who want to gamble are going to come back and gamble. So it seems as if that itch needs to be scratched, and he's pretty confident that when games do return, all of his customers will be on his platform betting along right with them. My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since the kids. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. Time now for number of the week. And for those playing at home, you can just follow along here to see if you can get this right. Here is the number or what I'm thinking about, the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee told Congress that America's amateur sports organizations stand to lose this much from the coronavirus-driven cancellations. Gentlemen, see if you can guess what this is. How bad am I, Barr? I actually read this story this this morning. I, I caught the headline that it was in an email to Congress, but I really don't remember the number. <laughs> <laughs> I did not 20 see this. billion? I'm trying. I really don't remember the number. Give us the thing one more time. The U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee told Congress that America's amateur sports organizations stand to lose this much from the coronavirus-driven cancellations, including the postponement of the 2020 Tokyo Games until next year. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's got to be in the billions. Oh, for sure. Three billion. billion. Actually, it's lower than that. Uh, no, really? Don't get me wrong. It, it's $800 million. Now, get, don't get me oh. wrong. If I had $800 million in my bank account, uh, I would be eating sushi every day. So, But that's still a lot of money. And uh, That's just the U.S. So that's things like USA Swimming, USA Track and Field. Right, exactly. And, so, of course, the good big num- question good there part. is when the Olympics do happen next year, you know, how much of that money comes back. You have been listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports. We are here each and every week at the same time, plus online, wherever you get your podcasts. And you can catch those Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. I'm Michael Barr on Twitter at Big Bar Sports. I'm Evan Novi Williams at Novi underscore Williams. And I'm Scott Soshnick. You can follow me on Twitter at Soshnick. Thank you very much for joining us. 
Please tune in next week when we speak with the biggest and brightest in the sports business industry. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world. 